Okay, this is Harpo the Healer. Welcome to the Harping with Harpo series. This is series three, episode three. This is our 17th podcast. And as promised, here is our amazing in-depth psychological profiling follow-up to our D.B. Cooper mystery pod. The only unsolved plane hijack in United States history never to be solved. Our findings will be mind-blowing for some people and offer an actual result taken from the main protagonists through our psychological study and our life's experiences. This case, which has eluded the FBI and thousands of amateur sleuths for 50 years, the anniversary of which is on November the 24th. Be advised, go back to Series 2, Episode 2, or our 12th podcast to get a full, comprehensive analysis and debate with RJ and myself of this incredible story before you listen to this. In this special episode... We consider three psychological personality theories. One, D.B. Cooper, or Dan Cooper, was a career criminal. Two, he was a thrill-seeker and seeking enlightenment. Or three, he was a joyriding, street-racing type, reckless individual. The podcasts are free and are a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. You may want to consider helping support the pods and channel. You'll find a link on Harpo the Healer YouTube. Encourage us to do more and drive us forward. This podcast was made on the 14th of October 2021 with RJ, who's a friend of mine. These are all long-distance recordings using internet technology. Hey, RJ, how's it going today? Yeah, it's going great. Yeah, it's good to, good to see you and hear you, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, today we're going to do this uh, as promised after 50 years, November 24th, 1971, this psychological analysis and come up with hopefully a solution to the D.B. Cooper case. Now... If anybody has just come across this particular pod, you need to go back to our Series 2, Episode 2. I think it's our 12th podcast called D.B. Cooper. We do a complete comprehensive discussion on that, and then it will put everything in perspective so that then you can come back to this for the final solution. Only three slight little things we didn't impress upon people in that last one was the, the tie clip, the pearl that we may cover here. The fact that um, Tina Mucklow asked him, the hijacker asked him why he was doing it. And also that uh, D.B. Cooper demanded the notes back after he'd been sent to the flight deck. They were three little things that we didn't impress upon people in our discussion. But apart from that, we were extremely comprehensive. So um, go back and listen to that and then um, and then we'll take it from there. So, RJ, we're going to do this psychological thing. I'll kind of kick off with this um, introduction to the psychology bit. Bearing in mind, we're both lay people here. We have to tell the listener that, don't we? With, yeah, we're both, absolutely. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, psychology, it's one of those areas of science that's um, often got so many different interpretations and even with the most analytical and scientific study of professionals and individual it's not surprising they can occasionally get things wrong or at least have differences of opinion so we're lay people looking at this but uh, we're going to run through a few things just to show that we haven't just plucked things off off the internet that we have thought logically about them and and taken into account some of these um, psychological things but in short diagnosis can be difficult to to get right now do you remember i said rj we had this um we were going to look at this uh, five factor model yeah 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 um, did you want to run through what that these psychologists yeah. tend to use well back in back in the day in the 1930s, the boffins or the experts, they came up with 2,500 traits of personality. And I thought, oh, my God, how the heck are we going to do this? 
And then we got to the 1940s and they'd reduced it to 40. And then in the 1980s and 1990s, they've now got down to five traits. And I'm thinking, how how have they got round it? But of course, they use like a sliding scale, like a spectrum. Mm. I think that's the positive internet they use. Everybody's on the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they got like, and then from the sliding scale of each trait, then then they kind of work from there. So this uh, five factor model uh, of an individual's personality divides into five traits. Personality traits understood as patterns of thought, feeling and behavior and are relatively enduring across an individual's lifespan. The traits are constitute the five factor model. Now, we've got um, we'll come back to these. But very quickly, I I use this word canoe to remember it. I think the experts use another one, but I I like that one. Yeah. Conscientiousness, um, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience and extroversion. And uh, I'll go through what they are. They are later. I don't know. We need to kind of just tell the listener why, from the psychology side, that we have done some study on um, schizophrenic and disillusional disorder. It's we might I might go into that at a later stage. I was going to go through the clusters and all the different categories of schizophrenic and all the rest of it so that we can then kind of eliminate a lot of them from from Cooper. But Mm. um, I think at this stage, maybe what I'll just do is very quickly go through the the disillusional disorder. And so we can sort of kind of eliminate stuff, if you know what I mean. That's a separate. Yeah, that's just generally. Just a general thing. Yeah, I'll just very quickly do it. Then when we when we go through these characters, a disillusional disorder, it's a false belief based on incorrect inference about external reality that's fairly sustained despite what almost everybody else believes and despite what constitutes uh, incontrovertible um, or obvious proof of evidence to the contrary. Mm. It's the mm. usual belief that's not accepted in culture or subculture. Mm. And uh, presence of delusions for one month or more. Schizophrenic now it also says that, um, that schizophrenia hasn't been, mm. hasn't been diagnosed. In other words, back in the day, in... Cooper's time, 1971, mm. they didn't have de- delusional disorder. It was all uh, types of schizophrenia. Oh, schizophrenia, Even yeah. today, a lot of these experts think it's along that line. Yeah. All the modern thinking, they've uh, they've got a much, much wider scope these days. Mm. Um, mm. And of course, with schizophrenia, they've got delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, disorganized behavior. Now, if, if um, to be in, in that particular category... They've got to have at least two. So if they've got disorganized behavior, but none of the others, they don't class as being schizophrenic. Schizophrenic is cognitive impairment, really. Right. Okay. So it doesn't seem from our man Cooper that he's a schizophrenic. No. And the evidence. Yeah. I could go through all the different categories. I have read through them. Mm. But um, I think we use the word disillusion really as a term to describe someone that's doing something a little bit out of the ordinary. I'm not so sure that it's a... Possibly it's, it applies un, un, sort of unhappy with their lots, maybe. Delusional or... Disillusion or delusional? Delusional. Delusional, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, of course, then there's the psychopathic personality that we'll come on to mm, um, mm. with um, antisocial and all the rest of it. So yeah. we've got... So we've got these three... Um, can you just mention to the listener that we're going to focus on four of the 
11 or 12. Yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, that's right. Of the suspects that they've had between 71 and 2016. Um, so, yeah, it's about four. I mean, that, that that's the evidence of the, the file that's that's out there in the public for about 45 years. Because as you say, we're, we're looking at 50 years. This November it will be 50 years, it, which you, you'll Yeah, mentioned. November 24. Of the sort of key ones that we've kind of picked out, we've got one called Barbara Dayton. Yep. And there's another one called uh, Richard McCoy Jr. Then there's um, Robert Rackstraw. And the last one we were going to look at was Walter Recker. Recker. Recker, yeah. Recker. Apparently his name was Pecker originally. He changed it to Recker. He's a really interesting yeah. character. Yeah, um, yeah. And the other, the other theory. So basically today what we're looking at is we've got, we've got sort of three theories with, this, yeah. with these guys. Yeah, theory one right. is that um, Cooper was a, a full-time criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Theory number two, that Dan Cooper was a thrill seeker. Yeah. And uh, sort of cat, when I use this word disillusioned about himself, he's fed up about himself and wanted yeah. more out of life. Mm. And mm. theory number three, it was kind of a road racing joyrider mm. madman type. You know, like the guys right. that race around on motorcycles or cars. Yeah, thrill seekers, yeah. On the yeah. Roads and, and make it make mayhem for everybody. So. Yeah. Well, so um, we'll determine, you know, the, the psychopathic angle. And of course, like Inspector Lestrade of um, Sherlock Holmes, you know, we all go to motive means an opportunity, Mr. Holmes. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 And so we'll go into his behavior on the plane because that's all we've got to go for. Mm. When we mm. look at this psychological profile, we can only uh, attribute it. We can only put it in place with how that person behaved mm. Mm. on the plane. Yeah, so that's that's the only thing we can we, we can't go on. Uh, we can't go on anything else. There's not much evidence, as you say, is there of him? No, other than other than the witnesses uh, on the plane, which mm. basically the photo fits a bit of a joke because it fits hundreds yeah. of people. Some yeah. people said he's five foot eight. Some people say he's six foot. Some people said he had brown eyes. The FBI went with the brown eyes thing for a number of years. Then they revised it. And said yeah. possibly possibly brown eyes after about ten years. So yeah. you realise that when we said in our original talk it was a mistake to have brown eyes, even they've retracted on the fact that because you said yeah. to me, didn't you, about how, how they see? Yeah, yeah, you know. And of course, for most of this, the guys sat down. How they can work mm. out is um, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, but, I mean, there is very limited. There's very limited evidence, really, isn't there? I mean, there's the witnesses of the people that were on the plane. But apart from that, everything else is just what people then think. And everybody knows that if you see something and then your recollection may not be as accurate as Absolutely. the, yeah. as the yeah. what you've seen. So this five factor model, let's start mm. off with. OK, let's start off with conscientiousness. So this mm. refers to an, an individual's sense of responsibility, mm. the duty as well as foresight Two agreeableness indicated by emphatic sympathetic and kind behavior then we've got three neuroticism basically the same like emotional instability mm. irritable moody behaviors okay then we've got openness to experience that's sometimes referred to you know openness sort of an individual's inquisitiveness thoughtfulness but it's propensity for um you know challenging yeah through really seeking yeah a little bit maybe yeah and the last one, extravision, like extroverted or introverted, which mm. probably um, probably speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, that? absolutely. Yeah. Um, so 
our three theories. So we're going to go to the the first theory that our man Dan Cooper. Yeah. He was a full time crook. Yeah. He probably has a history of um, of uh, doing things wrong. He's got yeah. a record or something like that. Uh, and he was a loner. He was completely alone. Possibly psychopathic symptoms, disorder, impulsive, irresponsible. He puts people at risk on the plane. His whole whole thing is about the money. He's arrogant. He um, he's, he's it's all about. He thinks he knows enough to survive mm. the jump. He, he's on his mm. limit. He's on his limit. He's there's no more he can do. You know, he, he's he's, he's got desperate. some knowledge, but he's not oh, up there. Yeah. okay. He's um, you know, he's got a suit, and 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 he thinks that'll be enough to get him through. He's quite desperate, and he he drinks his bourbon because he needs the drink. He needs mm. the drink to get him through. All he's interested right. in is getting the cash. He's probably aggressive. And with this theory, he'd be a complete loner. We look at this. So we go to conscientiousness. He's mid to low here, okay? Mm. He's, uh, he's just got enough conscientiousness to get himself through. Mm. That's all he's uh, into. Agreeableness, mid, I'd say mid to high. He's, he's going to be quite aggressive. And the he's reason got, I say yeah. that for, apparently, Tina Mucklow, said to him in the plane why are you doing this yeah. and he said because i've got a grudge it's not the airline i've got a grudge yeah. now can you imagine a bank robber going into a bank with a sawn off shotgun yeah the woman behind the till says why are you doing this and he says oh well make me a cup of tea and i'll tell you all about it yeah yeah a bank robber's going to be aggressive and desperate he's going to mm. say shut up put the money in there or mm. I'm going to let you have both barrels. He's going to be not a very pleasant individual under this no. theory. No, no. Um, but as we know, um, that's not the character. We know no. that he didn't do that. No. But that's part no. of this particular character, that that's how he would act. Yeah. Um, mid to low neuroticism. And what we got to openness to experience. Again, low. It's enough. Mm. Enough. He doesn't bother learning everything. He just does enough to do the crime. Mm. You know, it's taking absolutely, he's absolutely on his limit here. Mm. He'd probably prefer to do a bank robbery. I mean, the fact that he's doing mm. this, he's mm. got some experience. So mm. that's kind of um, theory number one. Yeah. Theory number two is that Cooper was a sensational seeker. He's mm. um, a guy that, um, I don't know, maybe even a guy that likes doing some gambling. He likes... The, the kick from it, or he's, he's, he's always fed up. Mm. They're fed up with themselves and they want more out of life. They might well have done parachuting, but it doesn't give them enough or they don't like themselves. They're really not keen on themselves. Mm. And in this, under this theory, it's not about the money. The money is, is a, is a byproduct or whatever. So he's not, he's not too concerned. And uh, he, he's probably aware that um, he may well not survive the jump, but he, mm. that really doesn't concern him. He, mm. really, under this theory, he, he's got a real bomb. It's, he, he's, he's quite happy to stick the wires together if things don't work out. We now, with new information, realise that it wasn't two wires he was putting together. According to the uh, stewardess Tina Mucklow, she said in uh, recent days, this last year or so, that it's actually a trigger he's got and that's why sometimes she was actually lighting his cigarettes for him because he had his finger on the trigger and he actually said that he was um he he was going to do this he didn't care and he would uh, definitely let himself go and do it if they didn't do as they were told in a calm voice 
And under this theory, you know, it, that's one of the reasons he doesn't prepare for the jump better mm. because of his actual behaviour. He could have d- done it better, but he's he's quite happy to go at that. Unlike the first theory, the guy drinks the alcohol, the bourbon, because he needs it. Under this theory, he sips his bourbon because um, he likes it. He enjoys mm. it. And, he's um, quite calm. He, he's quite calm. Now, these gamblers going back into professional football and stuff like that, Mm-hmm. I've seen it. There was a one Arsenal player they did a documentary on one time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw it. And, um, you know, for some people, they get the kick on the actual putting the bet on. And some yeah. is, 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 they're not, some of them aren't even interested in the result of the bet. It's the anxiety mm-hmm. of getting the bet on. And right, this particular yeah. professional footballer, really interesting, that he, um, he'd run on the team for Arsenal. Score mm. the opening goal, and at half time as he's jogging off the pitch, you think he's really keen to get in the dressing room and talk about the football, but his mind is completely elsewhere. He was so mm. talented that he scores the goal, but then runs off the pitch because he's thinking about putting a bet on in the um, half time. So, right. it's, it's so, so it's crazy how how um, yeah. you know so, what motivates people. Yeah, yeah. So um, so with this particular character. Yeah. When you look at uh, number one, conscientiousness. Yeah. High. It's high here. With this type of character, he's um, he's pretty, he's very conscientious. You know, like he um, he often he thinks about meals for the crew and giving change. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he does all that sort of stuff. So what's the next one? A- agreeableness. He's pr- if we think of Cooper and under this theory, he's pretty agreeable with people. He's fairly mm. calm. He, he he's he's uh, un- under this theory. Neuroticism's low. And uh, number four, openness to exp- experience, high, very high. Yeah. He, um, yeah. You know, I told you before, I had friends of mine that um, used to do base parachuting with only one parachute. Mm, mm. They had a, I didn't know this particular character, but they did. A guy mm. that's willing to jump out of a plane without a chute mm. and free fall down to a guy that's got one to come down together. Yeah. To get, to get the experience. That's mad. So there are yeah. people in the world. Who and and this particular character didn't really like himself that much. It wasn't just for the thrill seek. There were yeah. other facts at work, and so you know there are people who. So where are we? So we've done. We've got the extrovert. You got the extrovert. He's low. He's kind of in more introverted, more like a. Let me just think about it, like an electrical guy, a guy that's a mechanic, a guy kind of not He's too much up skill phase, but. A certain type of thinking and thought process. He gives a the appearance of thing, thing, doesn't he? A lone wolf type thing, just by he's himself. Still, he's still loner, but not totally alone. So under right. this theory, okay. he's probably estranged from his family, unlike right. the other guy. Yeah. Yet under this theory, he might well have left his family, divorced his family, or be estranged from his family, and he's unhappy. But under this theory that suggests that he, he's he's broken away. And that's why he's alone. So he's alone, mm. but not a loner. Under right. theory one, uh, the criminal, he's probably totally alone under that yeah. theory. Mm. So that's theory number two. Mm-hmm. Now, theory number three, he's a street racer. He's a, he's a sort of a races motorcycles, cars without insurance, no insurance. And under this, under this is... Uh, conscientiousness is extremely low his agreeableness no he's into competition he's not very agreeable at all neuroticism is is very low in fact he's narcissistic and probably 
that's a, a name that's uh, used nowadays, isn't it? Mm, narcissistic, mm. really go through that. Um, narcissistic, like uh, grandiose, psychopathy, probably um, lack of empathy, feelings of dominance, criminal behavior, irresponsibility and all of that sort of stuff. Mm, mm. Openness to expression. Well, that would probably be pretty high, maybe. Mm, mm-hmm. And extroversion, probably high extroversion, like, mm. a bit like the mm. uh, sensation seeker. He always sounds like a he sounds like a combination of the criminal and the thrill seeker. Yes. As a sort of trait. Yes. It's almost so, like a mixture of one and two, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the three theories. Mm. And now what we could do is. Um, I'd like to probably look at this guy, um, uh, Walter Recker. Yeah, Walter Recker, yeah. Yeah, so he's, just run that by me again. What was his... Um... But he was, I mean, looking, at, look, when you go through your profiles and theories, he's quite, um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a difficult character to sort of pin down. He's sort of, not, his date's 1933 to 2014. What does that make him when he was yeah. um, 19... Something he seems more. to be a, a colourful character. He's, he's, um, he's military jumps and That makes like him that. about 38 when the thing happened. Yeah. 38? So more or less into the ballpark. But yeah. This is the guy that uh, says he met the dump truck driver, this guy. Yeah, that's right. So he's, but I think he's a parachute. He was, in, he was in some sort of parachute thing. He's got parachute experience. Yeah, he's, 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 he was in a Michigan parachute club. Yeah. Uh, and he was only he, on a lot of military stuff. But this yeah. guy's an interesting, colourful character because he, yeah. um, I don't know if you know, I mean, the, the thing is for the listener that we've both had a, a lifetime on the planet, uh, RJ and I, without going through it all, but we've yeah. both got a lot of life experiences. And I've met guys who've worked with the what I'm about to talk about now. People at work under the radar of MI5, MI6, they're usually ex-military people or yeah. you know, CIA, they use... Nowadays, they have posh terms for them called like security contract, yeah. uh, things like that. And they do operations on behalf of them for governments all around the world. But if it goes wrong, yeah, then there's no attachment to those governments whatsoever. Now, this guy, Recker, uh, apparently was one of those such characters. Right. He attempted to get in the CIA, but they, he failed to do that. But he, he worked. Mm. Uh, as an associate for them and apparently uh, mm. uh, passports from he, he could speak russian and polish fluently mm. he um, but he didn't start speaking native american even though he was in america till he was he was in grade school mm. so he had like a distinct accent in his americanism which oh. uh, well you know we know that on the plane they said that he didn't have an accent do you mean remember he has a, a distinct yeah that's right because he talks about it, um yeah, to, to yeah. Cobras, it's somewhere he talks about now, how far they have to him, mm. Weeks before he died, he tells the guy on uh, his cousin or whoever it was, a friend of his, all yeah. about that he was, and he'd met this dump truck driver. But he says that he parachuted out near the Cas- Cascade Mountain. Mm. Well, even if he did or he didn't, they say that he, he was a mile from Clay Elm, that city. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's 150 right. miles away mm from where that plane is supposed to be. Now, yeah, if he jumps out, if he jumps out, excuse me, if he jumps out at 10,000 feet, he's going to be falling at 1,000 feet a minute. So even if he's been yeah. blown at 30 or 40 miles an hour, within five to 10 miles, he's going to be on the deck. I'm assuming that he's not free falling there, that he's actually just uh, pulling the chute straight off and then drifting. 
you've got to think that Mount Rainier, which is a, another mountain further up, and the Cascade Mountains, which is further over here, the volcanoes, certainly the mountains are at 14,000 feet. Yeah. So yeah. he's going to have to parachute uphill to, to get, or yeah. parachute around the side of them to get to where he says he is. So hard to believe this character managed to land where he did. It really yeah. is difficult. You know, there are traits of this particular guy, you say, Hmm. But then again, a guy like that wouldn't need to do that hijacking. He's really no motive. Because if he's done any of the above that we've just said, then yeah, uh, yeah. he'll be paid for it. They'll pay mm. him very well. Apparently, uh, some some reports, he was a hitman for them. Whether that's true or not, we'll never know. But the thing is, if these reports are even half true... He'll have been paid accordingly. Why on earth would he bother? I can't see his motive. Just can't see his motive at all. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I do. It's it's funny when you when you sort of we're relying on kind of evidence, um, and obviously there's some real fundamental things that kind of go against his story. But a lot of these people that we're looking at, these people that are suspects, have had a sort of history where they have kept it quiet for a long time, and then obviously at some point they kind of get they get the better of themselves and they want to let people know that they kind of did this thing. And I don't know how many people, how many of these suspects. I've got, yeah, I've got a feel, it's a good point. And I've got a feeling with Walter. Because why leave it to 2008? That's yeah. almost, that's a long time, isn't it? I've got, yeah, I've got a feeling that somebody like Wrecker has done some quite. Uh, undercover. He's, he's into that undercover he stuff, isn't he? probably might not have done that, but he feels that he can't tell the public what he's really done. Mm. So when he's coming to the end of his life, it might yeah. well be that he feels he could say that because at least they could yeah. relate to that, maybe. Yeah. It's like during the war when you, you, you've signed an official secrets, don't you? And you're not allowed to say what you've done, particularly if you worked at like um, Bletchley Park and all these things, isn't it? Yes. Um, you have to be quite, you have to you've signed the official secrets, don't you? So if he was trying to get into this CIA and all this sort of stuff, mm. he... Um, He's obviously sort of sworn to secrecy, isn't he? And he can't say anything well, about the stuff he's been doing. Got, he had passports and things like with from Mossad, mm. from Russia, all these things. I don't. This is this is the reports I've read, and it's yeah. quite documented that he had these things. Yeah. Um, so the only thing that puts puts doubt on me thinking it's not him that it could be him. It, it it's kind of plausible it isn't him, but then he tells this story of meeting the dump truck driver mm. but the dump truck driver corroborates that and um, now mm. the only thing i can come up with there is he was on that road that night but he was doing something else yeah he had nothing yeah. to do with this no no and <laughs> um, but 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 he he you know and, and years and years later he brings this up but he actually says in a phone conversation the dump truck driver gave him a lift well, the dump truck driver says he did not give him a lift. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And he yeah. also says, Wrecker, that he was going to jump out the front side door of the plane and that Tina Mucklow said, why don't you use the aft staircase at the back? Well, yeah. as soon as you listen to that conversation, I'm thinking, we know that did not happen. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of sort of If he'd problems. gone out the side door, he'd have gone straight into the wing and killed himself on the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he, but he's adamant that that's what he said he did. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't know about the aft stairs, so that yeah. tells me ah, just that that car doesn't be buy it. You don't buy it, yeah, no. yeah. 
based on the evidence it's too any bit that i thought was quite interesting was there's a river that obviously it's near this clay alum yes that river eventually joins the columbia river i mean it's yes. a heck of a d- distance but this money that they found in the 1980s that ends up at the tina bar or tenor bar yes. it could have just worked its way round. And that seems plausible. It, it could, but I can't see how it would be intact. Whereas stuck in a sandbar for years, I can see how that would end mm. up looking like it did. Yeah. You know, because yeah, obviously the, the main theory is that Cooper's chute didn't open. He plummeted like a stone right into the Columbia River at the side of Tina Bar. Yeah. yeah. And that's where the money is. And he just went straight down into the water and that was the end of him. Absolutely. Yeah, and that sort of sorts that out, doesn't it? That's the yeah, end it, of it. Yeah. But, and he the, then goes out into the Pacific, doesn't he? It's not that far so, to sort of yeah, be washed so, out. So all this theory stuff that we're doing. So we're, 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 you and I were assuming that 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 he's, he survived, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's uh, our guy Wrecker. Now this guy um, McCoy, Richard McCoy. Yeah, he's a funny one, I think, isn't he? He is a funny one. Yeah. He, uh, he actually on the hijack, he be... out of prison at the end of his time, and um, yeah. Had a shootout yeah. with the FBI, didn't he? Yeah, but he was, yeah, exactly. So he was 29 years old um, at, See, on the event. That's young, isn't it, for this guy? Yeah, yeah. We he said that we older. He could that 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 what he was wearing makes him look. It's, it's quite difficult to age someone, isn't it? Because we talked very. Yeah, and if the guy's of, been served in Vietnam and he's seen a yeah. few, he's and he's not had some some sleep, and if he's dressed very satorily in very drab mm. and sort of older for his years. Yeah. You, you could easily have a 30-year-old looking like a 40-year-old, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's very stylish in that sense. I mean, he's got a pin, a tie pin. Yeah. And he, he drinks bourbon. And But then, it, he's as you say, he's an army veteran from Vietnam. He's got demolition. He then went into construction and he has demolition expertise. So I think he knows how to blow things mm. up. So maybe the bomb thing might be interesting. He's got a Green Beret helicopter pilot, and he's a recreational skydiver. So they're all things that are yeah. kind of slightly he was connected. At, he was at university they? studying at the time. He had a wife and two small children, mm. and he was desperate for money. And mm. uh, he did the copycat. That's it. That's the he bit did that the I copycat don't. Copycat one. That's now, that... on the copycat one, mm. he used a paperweight, which was mm. actually in the shape a of grenade. a grenade. Yeah. And he used an empty gun. Now, yeah. the thing is, with a recidivist or anybody that's got criminal behavior, in yeah. that hijacking, he asked for $500,000. He was very aggressive on the plane. Yeah. He was extremely aggressive. Right. Now, we, we know that Cooper did not have those traits. Yeah. He didn't act like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and the fact that he took a helmet, he did the shoot, he... he, he he didn't do things in a, in a Cooper way at all. It was it no. was very much a sort no. of bank robber going with the well going with an empty gun. But um, yeah. I felt sorry for him in one sense. I, I shouldn't feel sorry for any criminal, but the fact that they gave him a huge sentence to throw the book at him. Yeah. And, but basically, yeah. he did actually have an empty gun and a grenade that wasn't real. Mm-hmm. So, but they threw the book at him. You know. Um, and a lot That's, of people think yeah. that he had the traits for Cooper, but I, there's too much um, from a psychological mm. angle. He doesn't um, he doesn't fit our man. I don't. He's think. a bit of a mismatch on the age and description. And plus, I think they've got evidence that he was in Las Vegas. Yeah. On the event. Yeah. So yeah, apparently it's quite credible evidence. And he's 
And of course, the reason why he never confirms or denies it, mm. that gives him bargaining power when he's stuck in a prison for years. Yeah. They yeah. want to. They want to keep that bit of mystique because it might help. It, you know, might, it might be able to make something up at a later stage that might help parole him. Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. You know, so, so that so for me, he doesn't fit the profile. He, he fits the he fits theory one, the, yeah. the criminal profile. But our man Cooper did not act like that on the plane. No, he, acted, he was calm most of the time. He was, you know. Yeah. So. Um, the next one we've got is um, Dayton. Right, yeah. Now, yeah. this uh, interesting character starts out as Bobby Dayton. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, she ends up becoming Barbara Dayton. Now, yeah. I did extensive research on this one. And it's a good one because, uh, as you mm. know, I think this is a very probable one. Um, mm. World War Two. she was on merchant ships. He was on merchant ships. He used to mm. actually cross-dress on the other part of the ship. In, 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 he, did, he did this for years without anybody knowing. Right. He spent time as a prospector up in Alaska. He okay. once got left in the Yukon for eight days without food and had to survive. Oh, and he yeah. had a, an ability when the ship, the merchant ship, was picking him up mm. uh, of missing the ship for a while. And during World War II, he ended up mm. having to fight with some tribesmen against some Japanese right. for a while in the jungle right. until his ship picked him up. When He's got he... quite a, kind of a funny, funny sort of past. And then yeah. he, he married and had children. He was made yeah. to marry. He didn't really want to do it. And yeah. he ended up with two marriages. But all the time he wants to become this woman. Then he when goes did he do to... that? When did he actually do that? Did he do that? Yeah, good question, RJ. Uh, from what I've read, I've looked at this up. Um, he had the he, he had to live like that for six months after he was rejected. But he had the first operation in 1969, uh, with follow-ups in uh, 1970 and 71. So obviously, uh, <coughs> we're not experts in this field. I don't quite know what took place, but um, it's fair to assume that um, he was in pretty good shape when he was uh, in terms of f physicality to to do the jump. His his the, or her account of it is that. He jumps south of Portland in the Woodburn area. Right. And that's yeah. all fields. There's woods. It's all huge. Even today. Lots of fields. A lot of forestry on one side. Yeah. Now, Dayton was also somebody that had their own little plane that flew out of a place. Yeah. Palupup, or it's called Fern Airfield. It's now called Pierce Airfield, I think. Five miles south of Portland. And he right. flies over that terrain regularly. He knows mm. every inch of that. So you think to yourself, well, if he times it right and he knows that that plane is, is there, mm. I'm thinking, well, he knows he wants this plane to fly under 200 mile an hour or whatever, mm. just above stall speed, which is about 170 or something on that plane. Yeah, that's right. Well, when it's climbing yeah. to 10,000, even with its wheels down, it's having to go a lot faster to get up to 10,000. So mm. where we mm. think that about halfway where the plane was. The fact that it's another ten mile up the road is neither in nor there. He could he could well have he could well mm. be an area where he jumped. Uh, to support this theory, Tina Tina Muckler, the stewardess, was at the back with the the door handle showing him how to open it. He sends her into the front into the cockpit, and we now know that he only got the uh, aft stairs halfway down and got on the telephone to communicate with the flight deck and they decided, the pilots decided to slow the plane down so that the aft stairs would fully deploy. 
So there's uh, evidence to show that they were flying much faster than stall speed. They would be flying it slightly faster than stall speed anyway. Stall speed is about 171 I think on this particular plane. So um, it shows that they were actually going faster at that point. Way probably more than, than any form of stall speed. So that would support this theory. Yeah we, yeah, we think it's a little bit before, but he could just be the other side of Portland because they wouldn't know because they're up in the cloud. They mm. don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. what he said he did. He said he landed in the Woodburn area close to the interstate. All right. And he just reverted back and, and just did what he did. Mm. And of course, according to the foreman's account from their book and from what snippets that uh, Bob Dayton had uh, divulged to them, he said that um, he uh, free fall roughly down, approximately down to about a thousand feet before he pulled the chute. Surprises me. As I said, I've always was of the opinion that you try and get the canopy open as quick as possible because you don't know the consequences and because of the cold, the age of the person, early 40s, all the rest of it. I always maintained you'd have to get it open early, but uh, that was his account. He said he uh, free fall to probably about a thousand or uh, 1500 feet and then he pulled the uh, pulled the ripcord yeah on reflection i can see why dayton said what he said looking at it uh, obviously uh, free falling um, down to about 1500 a thousand feet would make sense you've only got one shoot i've had friends of mine many years ago were base jumpers i thought they were crazy they only packed one shoot and they're obviously pulling the canopy uh, fairly late on um, there's a number of reasons. I can see why why he would have done that and he may well have had a hand altimeter on him Or he may well have done it from account uh, We'll never know that but um, but I can see the logic behind it and from a psychological point of view If the canopy doesn't open you, you quite convinced on that one then I'm quite I'm convinced. Sure. Yeah, I'm quite convinced simply because his motivation isn't the money. He's um, yeah. it's all about He's a, he's a thrill seeker. He's, he's a thrill seeker. He's oh, got, yeah, he's he's got a history of it. And of course, he's he's disillusioned with his life at that point. The psychiatric yeah. report says he's he's really down. But they they interviewed mm. him a week or two after, and he said mm. that he was perfectly, you know, he changed. Because he was a bit, and it was a bit angry not being able to become a commercial pilot because well, of yeah, the rules, he had wasn't bad it? eyesight, but he failed the algebra. He failed the mathematics test mm. twice, I believe. Yeah, and then. Um, and eventually but, his health was deteriorating. He had to stop flying small mm. planes. And, and then he used to go up in his plane and have other pilots with well, him. Still, what I'm not convinced that is like, why would you do something like that to sort of prove some kind of point in some way? He's not. I, I don't know what, why you care. do it. He's at that stage. If you've ever met, I've met, you, you will have met people like this. No, they're quite mm. happy to do it. He doesn't. Mm. He, that's why he doesn't prepare for the jump. He doesn't prepare mm. for the jump because it's not concerning to him doesn't like no. himself so mm. he'll get a thrill out of mm. take, pulling this off but if he doesn't pull it off and he dies mm. then he's, he's happy with that so yeah. the thrill the thrill that's that's the that's the game the, the in, um, in his head that's his I, game that's that's where the kick arrives from yeah that's where that's where it's hard for somebody who doesn't think like that to yeah. actually see but I, I i'm sure you've met people met people who are prepared to um to, to do that Mm. Um, you know, because it's it that's that's the way they get the sensation. He'd done an awful lot of parachuting in his life, but he, I've come across them when I used to parachute. Come across guys that doesn't do anything for them anymore. They want to do something yeah. further up the chain. Yeah. You know, 
I, I you know, so that the, there are people like that. But with him or her, I think it was. Yeah, he was totally, you know, hacked off with his life. He had uh, one or two ops. He still had one or two to go. He probably um, didn't like himself. His uh, his whole way of life had had to change. Um, circumstances, his isolations now, different things. His whole persona. And if a guy's used to fly from an airfield every weekend over that terrain on a regular mm. basis for years, mm. you think, well, he's the only one that um, would know mm. every inch of that area. Maybe it's something to do with wanting to feel they've achieved something in life. Uh, you know, they want to sort of feel they've you know, got something done that they want to do. Like, it seems a bit weird. I don't know when all this sort of transitioning happened with people, when people got into that, but that seems quite early, doesn't it? In America, people wanting... And again, that's another sort of trait which you could sort of say it's a different thing not many people would even know about that sort of thing and would don't they? forget from a point of view of catching this guy would they mm. want to catch somebody like that in the era of the feminism rights yeah. and everything and and the fact that here we've got somebody changing agenda yeah who's done this it's almost like a perfect it's a perfect kind of change isn't it like you know when you sort of people do these crimes hide it's the perfect one isn't it yeah it is here's a guy that can he knows how to act as a man. He's yeah. also been acting as a woman. Yeah. He knows so, he knows how to do it. He, yeah. he knows how to change that character. Yeah. So that's quite convincing, you must admit, isn't it? Well, the, 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 the guys that wrote convincing. the book, the, the, I've looked at the book, um, Ron and somebody, Foreman, I think, Foreman the name is. And, uh, you know, he, yeah. he, he died of pulmonary disease, didn't he, in years later. And he retracted it. He was the only one out of everybody I've come across Mm. He said he was Cooper for years and then retracted it with the statutory limitation. And you think to yourself, well, the others do it on their deathbed. Mm. They do it, but they don't continually actually say it was them for years. Because if the real guy did turn up, you'd look a bit of a fool. And of the four um, suspects that we think are the closest, you know, you've got uh, two of them who um, won't deny it. Or they're not saying they did it, but they won't deny it. And the other two saying that they definitely did do it. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it's, it's the only one, apparently, the foreman said that they go around the house and, uh, you know, it's the only 50-something when they used to visit this lady that could do knuckle press-ups and do, like, 50 knuckle press-ups when they turn up at the front door. Right. You know, she's kind of, it's got a checkered, this guy's got um, mm. a lot of, there's a lot of interest there. It's not popular, mm. but, mm. Um, as you say, but psychologically, theory two fits him. Right. Not theory one, it's theory no, two fits no. him. So, yeah. and then the next guy we've got is... Um, it's Rackstraw, Rackstraw, isn't it? Robert Rackstraw. What do you know about Rackstraw, Harjane? Well, he's 1943 to 2019. Yeah. So he's died fairly recently. He's a retired pilot and ex-con. Now, he's the only one, I think, of the ones that we've picked out that actually has a bit of criminal history. Um, yeah. And so that kind of puts him in that trait of being a criminal and he tried to fake his own death at one point so he's into these sort of slightly yeah weird things i think i think is the fact that um when he was in the military he was mm. cr- crewing on a helicopter i think he actually became a helicopter yeah. pilot himself in the end in vietnam he got, yeah, to the, yeah. he got from warren officer he got up to the rank of lieutenant and then the army let him go after his vietnam experience with all these purple mm. hearts and everything that he'd won because he didn't have the right qualifications he'd lied about his qualifications right. and i guess you would be feel quite aggrieved to the military if you've yeah. been 
paid as a lieutenant, you'd done your job as a lieutenant, you'd done mm. everything right. But when they found out that you in later year that you'd you'd lied on a qualification, even though he'd done the job, instead of waving it through, they yeah. let let him go kind of thing. Yeah. And you can imagine yeah. how he'd feel pretty aggrieved at that. Yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's yeah. a good. Ca- he's a very good candidate from from what I've read about him. Yeah, he he seems to fit into our category one, but in some ways he fits into category two as well. He yes, he's a combination, isn't he? Number three, he's like that sort of combination of the two, isn't he? Yeah, and he's also got that that trait of agreeableness as well. He's got. Hmm. He's and of course um, some guy that knew him in the Seventh Cavalry at one time was Mm -hmm. a code breaker, and when he was uh, in Vietnam, they used to use a code to talk to each other, and some of the letters that were sent to the FBI Mm -hmm. saying he was Cooper, this guy decoded them, and he decoded one, and he said this says Lieutenant Rackstraw. He he actually read it Mm -hmm. now. If that is the case, it might not be. But if that's the case, then that could prove that Rackstraw used to send these letters to the FBI. But he had a mm. history of annoying people and yeah. things like that. I think so, yeah. kind of doesn't prove it's him. No. But it does give me, in his character, it certainly uh, puts him in, in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's quite strong. You know, having said all this, if we look at the, the actual... The way that Cooper acted on the brain seems to fit theory too. Mm, mm. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, thrill yeah. seeker. Yeah. Because so what I'm saying is this guy did not have uh he was not a military guy. He was not an infantryman that saw combat. It wasn't a guy he, they, yeah. he, he hasn't seen that style of combat because I no. think that because most people come back from that, they don't want to then have a thrill that they don't want those thrills. They don't, you know, I mean, my own father came back from World War Two. He, he told me a couple of things about fighting the Japanese when I was about 10, 11 years old. But really, he never spoke about it. And then my grandfathers, they were both in the First World War from 14 right up to 18. One got captured, one got wounded bad uh, in 17, they, all the way through. And of course, they don't talk about it after you know no that's Something true actually because yeah. they, they don't need that thrill anymore do they is that, not, um, not that thrill they don't want that horribleness anymore you know what i mean it's that sort of post-traumatic yeah. um, stress thing isn't it ptsd yeah, well, just, yeah i'm not convinced it's ptsd i just think that they they just don't want any of that anymore they just want to move on and try and forget the whole horribleness of war so with these guys that are uh, like i don't i can't see him being a a soldier unless he's a criminal unless he's a mm. unless he's a criminal type mm. Mm. Uh, but rackstraw's got all the um you know rackstraw went on you know to teach lecture in a college for 10 years right. he, actually, he retrained and um, i don't know how he managed to get in there but yeah he, he ended up teaching and lecturing yeah. lecturing in a, in a college for 10 years so that was right. quite amazing yeah yeah he pulled it round. i don't know you know i don't know what he was teaching him how yeah. to, how to steal planes and yeah. I don't know what he was teaching them to do. Yeah, but, um, it's interesting, isn't it? But it just suggests with Rackstraw that he might want to use accomplices. I don't yeah. know because he in the Middle East he was doing something, doing some hauling. Yeah, yeah, he was doing stuff. some sort of explosives. He was sort of a possession or sort of yeah, in Iran or something. That's where they first got A to B that he maybe shouldn't have been. So and yeah. he'd have to use accomplices. So I'm not, I'm not. It's a tricky one there. 
Yeah, he, he tried to fake his own death or something like that, didn't he, as well? Yes, he did, So he's yeah. into these sort of strange, slightly comical sort of situations, aren't they? He, he might kind of respond to that, thinking, oh, that's a quirky idea. I could do that to get out of a problem I'm in or something like that, you know. And that's, um, why, that's why it could actually be Rackstraw. But the yeah. only thing I'm thinking, he had a lot of experience parachuting as well. Yeah. The only thing I'm thinking, it's too much experience to for for the out and out thrill seeker. He's going to throw himself out the back. But anybody that's had any decent training yeah. will know that there's an eighty percent chance I ain't going to make this. So yeah. I, I won't do it. What I don't understand is even if you're a thrill seeker, and part of the thrill seeking bit of this is throwing yourself out of this plane. Yeah. Why don't you just, why ask for all the money? Why don't you just sort of go on the plane and say, well, I'm hijacking this plane, all I want to do is jump out? Yeah, interesting question, RJ. But, uh, of course, you're not realistically going to hijack a plane without asking for the money. And with the thrill-seeker mentality, with this theory too that we talk about, you know, in, in the, there's, um, it's, it's not a matter of desperation for the money. That's the point. The point is... It's not about the money. The money is an issue, and that's what they're asking for, to give this uh, highest credibility so that the people will do what his demands are, what he wants them to do. Uh, but um, the overall objective, uh, the money is secondary to his primary uh, concerns here. It's um, a combination of things. <clears throat> you know, he hasn't prepared for this jump, although he's a skilled parachutist. He's only gone so far. Uh, he's a skilled pilot, he's got a knowledge that way, but at the same time, you know, he feels, you know, yes, the money's a secondary issue, but it's about him in himself, he's probably feeling extremely depressed, uh, he's not happy of what's been going on in his life, and he's had a lot of monumental changes taking place here, and uh, he is a thrill seeker, he's a very fearless character, as we, we know, uh, we, we've, we've, we, we know about this style of character, you know, and this one thing, if he pulls it off, great. If he dies, great. He's not bothered. He's, he's quite happy to die. But if he pulls it off, that kick in itself might um, kickstart him into feeling completely different. He's obviously perhaps experienced certain type of things before. But, um, I mean, we've all met them. We've all, I mean, in our life, in your life, RJ, you'll have met guys like this. I've met plenty of guys like this who had those, um, what I call, fearless things. They, they survive, but they, uh, they will push the boat out for the sake of pushing the boat out, for sure. Dayton, in real life, had an inheritance from a, a relative. Yeah. And she ended up in a trailer park where the foremans used to go and visit her when she lost all the money. She, yeah. gambled, she gambled all that money away. Yeah. Because so don't they, forget, a thrill-seeker... Like, Likes mm. gambling, whether they're mm. looking at um, they mm. might be looking at a slot machine. You know, like some people go fishing and they meditate all day fishing. It drives me mad. I couldn't do it. Yeah. But some people are addicted to slot slot machines in Vegas, or they, 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 that's what they're doing. They're just throwing this money, but they they feel relaxed. Some people, you know, fly a plane and, and they only feel at one with themselves and relaxed and in meditational state when they're flying. Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely, so yeah. So, so I can see, you know, some the money get away from that mundane life. Mm. But the yeah. money, the amount of money that they, they he took or he got was quite a high, a large amount, wasn't it? Yeah. But he was either desperate because that's a big payback, isn't it? So you wouldn't do something like that without the risk paying off. So I can see that. So what we're saying is they were all, whatever they were, whether they were a criminal or a thrill seeker, they were all probably still pretty desperate for cash. 
is a given, do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't think that the thrill seeker is necessarily desperate for cash mm. at all. Right, I don't okay. think so. I think it's a byproduct to it. Yeah, yeah. If, if, it's if, a bit like um, today, you know, like people do this stuff where they they do this sort of stuff that goes onto YouTube or something like that, or they do these things where, or they, you know, they do these pranks. Oh yeah. They get the fame. They get fame through through showing themselves doing it. You know. Yes. And I think maybe back then to sort of validate what you're doing was to get a lot of money. Maybe maybe a lot of money was the thing that would validate it to yourself. Whereas today, people like they hang from, I know I wouldn't recommend it, like they hang from cranes <laughs> and things yeah. like that, don't they? Or they do that parkour stuff where at any moment you could slit and you're dead. But you, you, there's a record of it. There's some, there's a record that someone says, oh, look, that's that person. Whereas here, there's no way that you can record that you were the person that did this audacious crime, is there? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And when we looked at the other suspects, like, Kenneth uh, Peter Christiansen, he was a guy at, um, you know, a trained paratrooper. And then he worked for, um, he, uh, he was 45 years at the, uh, the time of it. And um, he'd been sort of with the, an airline and done one or two things. I don't, I've looked at him. I don't, although he looked like it and a relative said it was, his brother said it possibly him. Yeah. I've looked at the trait. I don't think that Jack Kofer, he's a complete con man, an ex-convict and a con man. And he yeah. kept it up that he was um, he kept it up that he was Cooper for years and years. He was trying to write a book and cash mm. in or something. I don't know. Mm. But um, Lynn Doyle Cooper, that's a complete no. That's yeah. a guy who, you know, family said because his name was Doyle Cooper. Yeah. That's yeah. It. I, I don't buy that at all. Um, Gossett, William Gossett, Marine Corps career, advanced jump training. Again, um, I don't buy that one. John List, he was an accountant. He killed his family and three children and his 85-year-old mother. And then he drew $200,000 out or whatever and took off. Teddy Mayfield, again, he was the guy that phoned the FBI saying, you think it's me, but he phoned within a couple of hours. He actually says Teddy Mayfield, the FBI phoned him a load of times, but apparently they did. But again, um, it's not plausible it was him, although uh, he, he, he offered uh, a lot of advice to them in trying to catch the guy. Um, Sheridan Peterson, another guy from uh, was in Marine Corps World War Two, had experience as a smoke jumper. Yeah, then there was uh, Robert Lepsey, who uh, a 33-year-old uh, grocery store manager, married <clears throat> from uh, Michigan, who disappeared in 69. His vehicle was found three days later at a local airport, and a man uh, of his description was seen boarding a flight to Mexico. And, you know, there's always these things about, or oh, maybe he'd, he'd learnt to parachute over there and then came back over here and did the heist and all the rest of it. But, um, you yeah, know, it's not plausible. You know, I've had a good look at those, and the ones that we've looked at there, Dayton, Wrecker, McCoy, yeah. that, I think they're yeah, more plausible. Yeah. And it just seems to me from doing the sort of psychological thing using that five factor model yeah. based on the behavior of Dan Cooper on the plane. Yeah. He, he seems to fit theory two. He doesn't seem to fit one or three. Yeah. The traits of the you've got to imagine, you know, a bank robber when he goes into the bank and how he mm. how he wants his cash. They're de- mm. they're pretty, they, they have a, like a desperation. Yeah. To be able to sit in your seat for two hours while you're in a holding pattern above Puget Sound, relaxed, yeah. tells me this guy is not a, a criminal. 
No. He's a guy sensate. He's getting off on this. This is this if he can and if and if they storm him and try and grab him, he's just gonna stick those two mm. wires together. Or trigger, as uh, we now know from Tina Muckler that it was, and blow himself up together with everybody else. Yeah. And briefly the other bit we were going to talk about briefly was this the, the, the evidence that was there was this tie and the oh, tie yes. pin and the uh, matches. And I, I thought about that one a little bit. And I kind of thought when you've got someone who's, say, doing something like this, if they're a criminal, they'd be the really planned this out like so well. How would they know would they be that relaxed to leave some evidence that would then direct them to give them a give, give a clue, as it were, without actually directly saying? the nail on the head there, because I, as I said, we laughed at this the first time mm. we did the talk. As we talked about earlier, if it's theory one or theory three, and this guy's got a track record of a criminal, then he's only going to take this, he's not going to be meticulous at all. The conscientiousness is just going to be enough to get him through. Um, you know, throwing the tie on there, that's just, um, it's miscellaneous. He's not, he's not that particular, he's not that thought through. He's only just done enough to get the cash and go, you know. It's not really as uh, technically thought about as we think. If he's, the, uh, if he's got the criminal tendencies, according to the psychological profiles of one or three. And also under uh, theory one and three, his anxiety thresholds at this stage will be going through the absolute roof. I'm sure under theory two they're moving up, but at the stage he's going out, he'll be very desperate. Think of the bank robber again. Think of those kind of circumstances. Mm. And we joked about the, the Pink Panther thing, about looking back yeah. over the films. Do you remember? About yeah. the calling card. And I thought, you know, the delusional, the calling card, the films. But since doing our talks, I've come back to the reason that when they say he's left-handed or right-handed, mm-hmm. well, if you're, as I said before, if he's wearing a shirt with a little inch vent down with buttons on it, mm-hmm. then the only way you can put a tie clip on is right-handed. You can't put it on left-handed. If right. he is left-handed, then he'll grab a clip-on tie with his left hand and just pull it straight off. Yeah. He might take the tie clip off and then put it on in the other way around. So it doesn't prove he's left-handed or right-handed. No, not really, but no. I, I've come to the decision now, after all these years, it's not a calling card. No. I think he literally took the tie off because as he gets the harness to put the parachute on, he doesn't want anything interfering with tying the harness on. No, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. first thing you do is get rid of the tie, put the harness on. Yeah, but he's, he's very meticulous in his planning would he have made that mistake? Because obviously any evidence, like these days, I mean, if there's any evidence, they got, they've got DNA, haven't they? They can, they can find anything, I think, I think that was an oversight. I think leaving the tie and the clip behind was an oversight. Yes, it wasn't actually deliberate. It was just something yeah, that I used to think it was it. deliberate. But I mm. think if he'd thought about just shoving it in his rain ja- jacket pocket, I yeah. think he would have done that. Yeah. But he's, yeah. he's now he's inspecting the money, he's inspecting the shoots, the plane's starting to go up in the air. He looks yeah. at the shoes, picks the one he wants, mm. rips the tie off, starts putting the har- harness on. I think mm. it's, that, mm. it's that quick. It's a bit of a funny but one, isn't it? He's, he's, quite, he's very con- uh, conscientious in the fact that he demands mm. the notes back. Mm. After the he note that he's written, yeah. That was a handwritten yeah, note, wasn't theory it? Two. Yeah. Theory two. Theory it, two. Um, it surprises me in theory one and three that he would do that as a criminal. Yeah, yeah. That he, he's that conscientious. Yeah. 
his planning his planning is sort of like very good isn't it his planning is pretty good it's uh, pretty audacious and it, yeah it is pretty good but uh, let's face it um, he hasn't thought enough about uh, going out the back of the plane uh, under theory two we know why and under theory one and three we kind of know why but that certainly has not been planned I mean any anybody with any good parachute training isn't going to make that jump you just wouldn't do it under those circumstances with particularly with the chute with no reserve not the right gear you know guys that have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jumps uh, they survive because uh, they know how to survive <laughs> okay yeah and the oversights that he does where he's thinking well i'm gonna he, that's why he doesn't prepare for the jump any more than he, he does. The, mm. cri the criminal profile is that um, he's done as much as he can do. He thinks, I've, can, I've done enough to get out the door. See, the, the bits that come to my mind here, is it carelessness or is it overconfidence that meant that he left the tie and the, the tie clip? That's because, a good point, yeah. Yeah, if he's, if he's careless, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's careless in the planning. He seems like he kind of knew what he was doing. And again, if he was overconfident, what sort of person would that be? That might be someone who isn't necessarily, it could be someone who's what they would describe as a sort of a white collar person, as opposed to like a blue collar type person, was mm. more of a technician-y, more kind of professional almost. Yeah, certainly, so, certainly theory two shows that. If theory yeah. one and three... I used to think that that was a calling card, that he was leaving that deliberately. Yeah. But as yeah. I said before, I think he's just thrown the tie off onto one of the seats. Yeah. He's got on with picking his knife and cutting the shroud lines to make mm. a container to put the other stuff in. Yeah. What I didn't realise until recently was that when he puts that DB9 on, the old Navy chute, he puts it on his back. Yeah. And you know, he says he, uh, he picked the dummy reserve rather than yeah. the other. Yeah. Well, apparently there's no rings on the front of the Navy emergency pilot chute. So right. he could not attach a reserve whether he wanted to or not. No. OK. Yeah. So he wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically he can't he can't take a reserve with him. Mm. And the the other thing that was just slightly not changing, but going back to this sort of well, these left evidence or something is this whole idea of him being influenced. Like, where did he get the idea to do this? And we've spoken about it before. He's got these, there are these comics. Yes, because it's never been done before. No, see, it's an interesting, it's the first of these plane hijackings. But the comics, I think, are quite crucial, aren't they? The sort of person in your profiles, your three theories, criminal, thrill seeker, street racer, which one would be likely to read these sort of like comics, these which is supposed to be based I'm on this French. Say, I was, I'm about to say all three. <laughs> yeah, they may do. They may be into it. Like you're sort of saying, it's a sort of comical thing, isn't it? It's like the Pink Panther almost, if it was leaving evidence. But that's literal uh, comic thing. But the, the actual, the magazine um, that they reckon is called Dan Cooper, isn't it? A character yeah. who's supposed to be some rocket scientist you know some sort of rocket pilot isn't he and he does these daredevil things and one of them is parachuting out of a plane is it is one of the stories yeah, that's that correct yeah yeah but they, were, they were never written in english they were they're all in french yeah. so the french canadian thing yeah well you know we know that um dayton was in the merchant marine and we yeah. know that he spent a lot of time in, in Europe, British Columbia um, and in canada oh, right. I see, yeah, and in so canada, as a young yeah. man as a very mm. young man he'd be on a lot of seafaring voyage from 
and with the French Canadian thing. So that, mm. but that doesn't prove that that's him. It's just I, I just sort yeah. of draw a correlation between. I that. mean, yeah. Which of all the of the four that we were looking at, which one do you think would be the sort of person that would read magazine, read comics still at their? They have to be definitely two because we see him as the thrill seeker and a guy that's um, is quite conscientious. He's conscientious yeah. and he's thoughtful. I see um, that. I see but, that. I but don't know. Also, yeah. I see that the criminal guy might read comics. Yeah, the McCoy one. guy. You think McCoy might be the sort of? Because um, look, he got influenced. He did the copycat. So he's yeah. like. See, if you think about it, if if he's seen something in the the comic. Yes. He's trying it again, which I don't think is right. I don't think he would have read those comics. Because if he's if no. he's the original one, why would he then try and do? He wouldn't do a copycat of himself. He wouldn't do it again. No. So and I think that puts McCoy out. Yeah. Um, so I think you've either got that. I think Rackstraw. it's Rackstraw, Wrecker, or Dayton. With yeah. Wrecker, it's the distances. Yeah, that I pushes him out. It's yeah. not plausible, but then I can't understand the bit with the relationship with the dump mm. drive. I don't get that. No. no. Well, I think I'm I'm coming around to your theory ultimately the, the suspect being that Dayton being quite a quite a serious sort of quite up there as a percentage what sort of percentage would you sort of say that they are like it's likely to be them then percentage RJ well that's a good one I'm glad you've uh, pointed that out well what we know out of the four candidates we've narrowed down two of those candidates have a grudge we know that and we know quite clearly that uh, from Tina Mucklow that she asked him why he was doing it and he said because I've got a grudge it's not the airline but I've got a grudge Robert Rackstraw has got a grudge and also Bob Dayton has a grudge okay that's out the four now I agree with you about McCoy I think he's a copycat guy I think he was obsessed with the DB Cooper thing as the special forces guys were saying about him long before this before he did the, the, the hijack it was about the money for him, but I, and that's why I did the copycat. There's too many things in that, so I eliminate him. So that leaves Wrecker, the third one. And for me, it's um, with his exploits and associations association with CIA and all the things that he said he'd done or has been doing, there's no motive. For him, there's simply no motive. And the fact that uh, when he parachutes, somehow his parachute can go uphill uh, several thousand feet, quite a lot in fact. To get over if he wants to get over some of those mountains and volcanoes so um it's not plausible so for me we're looking at Rexstraw and dayton it's more than 60 percent for dayton yeah probably about 50 percent to 60 or 50 percent Rexstraw. yeah and wrecker he's an outside chance now I, yeah I can't because i can't see his motive i mm. can't i can see mm. The, the more of a prankster motive in Rackstraw as much as getting the money because of yeah. his history. Yeah, faking his death and all that sort of thing. But it's... I just can't see with Rackstraw's experience that mm. he'd throw himself out of that plane like that. Mm. I can yeah. see why the thrill seeker would. I can't see if you've got that much experience parachuting, you've been a helicopter pilot, mm. he'd know that his chances of survival are very limited. Mm. And he's somebody mm. that preserved his is yeah, I think that I would do it. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm on your side there, um, Harper. I think that Dayton is quite a high sort of chance that it's possibly possibly them or they. 
as in him or her yeah at a given moment. apparently his first family when he was estranged when he'd left them years ago apparently two of his kids when when that happened mm. uh, or what his sister or whatever said um oh that's the sort of thing bobby would do right immediately but he confided in one of the family daughters or something he confided but he said that he'd put the money in, in a, what he got left of it was put in a big cistern. Yeah. And he said that. But if you look in at the, the when we finish, if you look at the Woodburn area. Yeah. Um, obviously, 30 years ago, there'd even be more fields before the woods. And it's yeah. completely open so that even if you had a bad landing, you you could get out of it. Because I'm thinking if it's mm. an unsteerable parachute. Mm. Then if you're being blown at 25, 30 mile an hour, you, normally what you do is pull down at 300 feet, turn into wind. So if you're going at 20, you'll land at 10. If you're, right. if, if you're at 10 mile an hour, you turn, yeah, you, yeah. you turn, you turn the parachute around the other way and you'll land at, you know, you look uh, for the windsock. But at night, you just got to think, but he's got no chance. So if the wind's blowing them at 30, they're going to land at 30. It's going to be mm. a bumpy yeah, gonna, that's, that's going to be a bumpy landing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But um, I think, yeah, yeah, no, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because I just think good. that I, I, I did some research looking at guys. I, I've, I've never experienced this, but guys who've landed in trees, mm. and um, you know, and you read guys who've landed in trees saying you don't ever want that. He says, don't matter how small a tree is, if if your parachute collapses and you're stuck or mm. precariously placed one thing wrong and you'll just slip out of that tree and break your neck it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's just you you want to avoid any form of tree yeah it's absolutely like, um, yeah yeah it's terrible yeah yeah you know it's it's done bare thinking about and no, when you look at no. oregon and washington it's full of trees yeah <laughs> trees everywhere yeah you know so that's interesting that's really good harpo so i think we're coming up five it's one of those four we're on 50 years anniversary. You're going to sort of say we're on this 50-year anniversary. My, I stick my neck out. I yeah. stick my neck out and say it's Dayton. Head above I, the parapet. Yeah. Only because I can't see the criminal. Like if a criminal goes to the local airport, they don't try and steal a small plane and stick some mm. fuel in it because they know that even mm. if they get it up in the air, mm. they'll fly for a few minutes and then they'll die. Hey, what about like getting the money to do the operations? Do you know what I mean? If she's going to do these operations, she might have needed some serious cash. Yeah, because it's going to cost brass, isn't it? Yeah, but as I said before, theory two, it's not about the money. And one operation has already been done in 1969, and there's follow-ups for 70 and 71. I don't think that this has a bearing. I think, as I said before, it's a byproduct. And he's so desperate. He's so desperate to do the change that motivates him to get this cash mm. and there's the cash the motivation for the cash for the change Possibly, but I, I still think psychologically the thrill seeker and i've yeah. known guys i've known guys like i've known guys in parachuting i've known guys like this yeah, and, um, yeah. you know they'll they'll um they'll do it when you know it's a there's a good chance they're gonna like break a leg they'll, they'll just they'll just do it and and they don't they go so far with their thinking to mm. plan for something, but then there's a whole, they leave a, a, an area that's going to give them that kick. Yeah. It's almost like yeah. um, it, it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't be like that. I couldn't, I couldn't be like that, but I know that no. they, they do, you know. It's, yeah. Um, 
But that's interesting. Yeah. Who would you pick out of the? Well, I did think that Walter Brecker was quite interesting, but until we were having the discussion that he's so far off the. Well, the thing um, is that even if he lands at the Cascade Mountains, he's got to walk a hundred miles. If he if he yeah. lands if he if he uh, scales those, then he jumps out at ten thousand feet. Then he's got to go yeah. uphill to get over the two volcanoes, over or. He's either got to go over Mount Rainier, which is 14,400 feet, or he's got to skirt around the sides of it to get to Clay yeah, Elm. Yeah. Now, the other thing I thought with Wrecker, which is interesting, yeah. that dump truck driver says yeah. he's on his way to a gig to play some country music. Right. What time's the gig start? Because yeah. I'm working out, this guy's parachuted out, he's landed, he's gone up and had a cup of coffee with this guy. This, I mean... If you add up the time, his gig it can't be... start till about 10 o'clock. Now, if it's a farmer's gig or whatever, they're starting at 10, 11. It doesn't yeah. make sense. No, they'd be starting really early, thinking, wouldn't they? You, you know, it's a wonder D.B. Cooper doesn't say to him, shouldn't you be getting to your gig? Yeah. Sort of like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it's interesting point. Off, it's interesting, it? yeah. And the fact yeah. that, as you said in our original talk, he gets him. I didn't know this. He gets him, who was then a kid, the dump truck driver, to ring his mate up yeah, why to he tell him that? where he is. Yeah. You wouldn't do that, surely. Now you just borrow some money and say, like, I need to make a call, you know. He gets his he gets the kid to make the phone call. Yeah, yeah. I just can't but, Yeah, but the, he maybe he's thinking I don't want any evidence or anything that maybe could be recording or anything. He's just sort of trying to sort of keep him separate from everything. As in, yeah. he's just pulled off this crime. And the FBI, the thing with the eyes with the FBI, I mean, God bless them, they're a great organisation, yeah. but they, um, the thing with the eyes, but the other thing is about the the fingerprints on the aft staircase. Well, yeah. you've got wind, rain, cold, you've yeah. got people, that plane started on the East Coast and did drops all the way through to Chicago, all the way through, and one of its last stops was Seattle to Portland. Mm. And so they're yeah. hopping all the way across America. People up and down those uh, stairs. Mm. Um, yeah, so it wouldn't have done anything, would it? Then it's up at whatever thousand feet with rain and wind. And then the, you just imagine the local fingerprint expert going yeah. along with his down the rails. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely no chance. No, no. No chance of getting any prints that mean anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a good, it's a good story, isn't it? It keeps giving, isn't it, in that sense? It is, but I think, um, I think unless they come up with anything else, I think, I, I think yeah. that Dayton's story is seems to be the most plausible, simply yeah. because. But whatever, um, if it's not Dayton, I still think it's somebody that's probably not um, militaryfied, unless they've got criminal tendencies. Mm. You know. But the, you know, if it's um, it's been fifty years since the the event now, isn't it? So if they were years, twenty, yeah. they'll, yes, never, if, they'll never. I, I can quite 80, honestly say, I can say it's Dayton now because um, because nobody can prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, that's if he didn't hit the ocean. Yeah. So that's our uh, that's our thoughts on um, on DB Cooper. Yeah, let's get that one. I like that one. I don't think unless uh, unless there's any any more. I don't think there's any more. The others um, were fairly plausible, but I think under the theories that we've looked at, mm. all the others have to have some form of criminal tendency or their desperation yeah. for money. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Look. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll wind we'll up, up on that. And we'll, yeah. uh, we'll talk next time. Excellent. Okay then. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. See you later. Okay. Thanks to RJ as ever for his great contribution to the pod. A touch too much of my rhetoric, perhaps, on this one. However. 
RJ's viewpoints are a healthy challenge to our attempts at psychology and systematic logic designed to be thought-provoking and hopefully set up an interesting dialogue. Evaluating personality traits and attaching them to the behaviour of the hijacker coupled with our life's experience was the object to finally get a result. No one knows how you're going to react in a perilous situation, but back in the day I have found myself in a few situations where I was close up to a bomb that could go off at any second, so I have some understanding of how it can feel. With that in mind, I'd like to dedicate this pod and our first DB Cooper podcast to the crew of Flight 305 for great handling of the position they found themselves in, but in particular Tina Mucklow for demonstrating courage, bravery and fortitude in what was a very dangerous and precarious situation with her demeanour and handling of the hijacker. Let us leave you with this thought. Four key suspects. We narrow down to two, Robert Rackstraw and Bobby Stroke Barbara Dayton. A close call between the two, however, going by all the psychological analysis, personality traits, Rackstraw's elements of theories one and two, and maybe with his prankster stuff, maybe a touch of three. But to Dayton, theory two, then from what we firmly know of D.B. Cooper on that plane, if he didn't plummet like a stone and die in the river next to Tina Barr, then the conclusion is Bobby Stroke Barbara Dayton was Dan Cooper.